listening to the Creating a Brand podcast, where we deliver weekly masterclass interviews on topics to help you make your first or next step in business the right one. I'm your host, Alex Sanfilippo. In order to grow a successful business, it takes a healthy team working together to achieve a unified mission. But most small businesses struggle to get past a certain point of growth due to the inability to retain talent. Today, I'm talking with Adrian Gostick. Adrian is the author of the book titled Anxiety at Work, along with many other bestsellers. In this episode, Adrian explains to us that anxiety is one of the leading causes of employee turnover, and that if we wish to build a unified team that is positioned for business growth, we need to create a lower anxiety work culture. For links to resources that will be mentioned during this episode, please visit creatingabrand.com slash 095. And now here is my conversation with Adrian Gostick. Adrian, welcome to the Creating a Brand podcast. Hey, Alex, uh, delighted to be here. Thanks so much. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really glad to have you here. And I, I mentioned this offline, but your book, The Carrot Principle, that you and Chester wrote together a while back, changed the way I motivated and managed my teams back in the corporate world when I was in aerospace. So I wanted to personally just say thank you so much for, for that, that work of art that you did back in the day. Oh, that means so much that it actually had an impact on you while you were, yeah, again, you know, a director of a, you know, of a, a aerospace organization. You know, there's a lot of pressure on you and stress on you that you found ways to to be a little bit more human and and empathetic as a leader. I mean, good for you. That's that's awesome. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm still carrying that with me today, obviously. But that point in my life when I was managing a lot of people, that really like hit home. It was what I needed that time. So thank you for that personally. It's, it's great to have the opportunity to talk to you today. Oh, it's my honor. So today, I really want to focus on your book, Anxiety at Work. And I'm excited to talk about this because we have talked about anxiety before on this podcast, actually two times before. We talked with Dr. Caroline Leaf and Rebecca Lyons. We talked about anxiety and stress from an individual standpoint, never from the perspective of a team that someone's managing. And although many of the listeners, they're, they're new in business, it might be just them or them just starting to bring on teams. This is important to get right from day one. And I want to mention that I didn't. We, I mentioned this to you. I realized after reading this book that there were some things I was doing with, I've got five people working with me now, and I wasn't handling some of these things properly, especially in a new startup feel, because it, it's kind of rocky, right? Like I like to think we're doing pretty good, but there's, there's no telling, right? Especially when something's so young. So I think it's really important we cover this because I believe it's really going to help the listeners a lot. So to do this, I really just want to start off with talking about what did you learn about anxiety among employees when you started researching this topic? Well, yeah, thanks, Alex. Um, I'm really thrilled to talk about this because we realized it really was an important subject. Actually, I was working probably about two years ago with a, a big defense contractor, and uh, I was working with you know, 200 of their senior leaders. I was giving a speech, and afterwards we opened it up to Q&A, and I was really amazed that every one of the questions really revolved around this question of, hey, how do we get our younger employees to cope better? How do we get our people to, to not feel so overwhelmed, to this, that, and the other? And all of the questions, they wanted me to give them some tricks on how to get the people to change. And what was ironic was nobody really was asking about things they should do differently. Uh, it was all about, you know, how do we fix them? Right. And so I realized that there was, this was a bigger issue. And we started noticing rising anxiety levels among employees. Uh, this is before the pandemic. Then all of a sudden, of course, as we know, last March, boom, the pandemic hits. And what we went from was about, uh, before, about one in five people would have a, a, a full-blown anxiety disorder. In many cases, they were hiding at work. Well, now we've gone up to about a third of employees reporting that they are feeling full-blown symptoms of an anxiety disorder that's affecting their life, their work. 
And, and yet we do not talk about this at work. Um, one, one of the uh, statistics we found in our research is that only 10% of employees feel comfortable going to their boss about their mental health. And, you know, that, and as I ask managers about that, they, you know, they sort of all nod their heads and go, I can, I get it. Um, they think it'll limit their, their possibilities. They think that I'll, I'll look down on them. I won't give them great assignments. Um, you know, other managers will tell me, are you kidding? My people tell me about everything. You should hear some of the stuff they tell me about, except their mental health. So we noticed there really was no tool out there. And you've mentioned yourself, Alex, that you've had a couple of people on the show talking about anxiety in individuals, but there's no tool out there that help leaders deal with the anxiety levels in their people. Yeah. And, you know, this is, again, a little convicting for me because now I'm, I'm thinking back to even my days in aerospace. I know I already brought that up once, but I'm thinking back to that. And I only think I had two employees ever mention their mental health to me. And over the time, I don't know how many people reported to me over the years, but nonetheless, I hope that's not a poor reflection of my leadership. But I want to get it right in this more entrepreneurial realm that I'm in now with with Podmatch and creating a brand, making sure that I'm leading the proper way to make sure I have a good environment for people, because a lot of this turns into people one, becoming a mess themselves and probably not producing as much, but also moving, leaving, deciding they can go somewhere else and maybe they'll they'll be healthier. Have you seen that happen as well? Oh, absolutely. You know, what we're finding is now the probably important to define the terms, you know, because worry is, you know, I'm focused on, I don't want to get sick. I don't want to get this COVID thing. That's worry. It may lead to stress where we start feeling some physical symptoms. Anxiety is it involves the mind and the body, and it's overarching. Uh, it, it 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 can cripple people, um, and sometimes it's situational, and it, you may be able to work your way through it. Other times, people live with this all their lives. Um, that when the stressor is removed, the anxiety remains, and so it really is quite powerful. And so what happens is. And in many cases, managers contribute to this. They actually think, well, I'm going to amp up the pressure. And they, they end up contributing to the, to the anxiety that people feel. And just as you mentioned, it often leads to either burnout. We're seeing huge amounts of ghosting right now, not only in the dating world, but in the, in the, in the work world where <laughs> right. people just stop showing up. Yeah. Um, and it's also leading to pre presenteeism where people show up, but they're not doing their best work. They're just sort of, you know, going through the motions, you know, nobody, you know, while we think, oh, you know, people will be charged up to, to accomplish if I put the pressure on that can work for really short amounts of time. You know, we all know of the mom who lifts the Pontiac off the, you know, the, you know, the family member who's trapped, but it doesn't work over time. And so, so what we're finding is, you know, good leaders have to pull back the stress and pressure. They have to give people time to, to decompress. And just as you mentioned earlier that, you know, you, you can only think of a couple of times that somebody has mentioned to you about their mental health. Unfortunately, there's just the stigma. You know, if, I, if I'm your employee and I come to you and say, hey, I broke my leg skiing uh, last week, you go, oh, hey, you know, Good for you that you're out there going and hard and yeah, take some time and rest. Or if I say, hey, I've got the sniffles, you say, do not come into the workplace. Oh my gosh, we don't want to risk what that is going to be spreading. But if I say to you, I need a mental health day, there's just this stigma where people go, yeah, right. You know, yeah. <laughs> mental health day. Or, or it's go get a coach, right? Like what's what's wrong with you, right? Like exactly. It, yeah, and I, I think that's maybe a bit of an old school mentality, especially, um, and not to pick on older generations, but this is, there's a lot more of this happening in younger generations for sure. And I, I don't know what the difference is, but uh, I'm not going to get into that side of things necessarily. But 
I'm realizing that, no, it is important. It's a real thing. And we have to stop pretending like it like it isn't. Oh, that's so true. And we really are seeing, you know, great, it, it affects everybody. That's, that's one thing, as you're mentioning, that, that we need to be very conscious of. But it, you're right, it does affect younger people in a higher preponderance. And, you know, in, in many ways, we, the older generation, have, have helped contribute to this. You know, kids would go to school and we would teach them active shooter drills. Uh, you know, the chance of having a, you know, a shoot active shooter within your school is, is, you know, 10 times more unlikely than being struck by lightning twice. But we do that. Why? Because we want them to be ready. Well, we create incredible amounts of anxiety so that young people now, they'll go to a movie theater and they'll be looking for, you know, where's the exits? You know, I, I need to think, you know, we create all this anxiety uh, as well as job insecurity. Our generation put their moms and dads through through round after round of layoffs. And so all that anxiety and angst that their parents would feel at work, I don't know if I'm going to later off or not, would come home. So that young people just do not trust organizations. Um, there's, and again, they're not going to come in and tell you that. Oh, by the way, Alex, um, thanks for hiring me at your organization. Uh, just so we're clear, I don't trust you at all. <laughs> They're not going <laughs> right. to tell you that. Of course. But that is where we have to begin as leaders with that assumption. I'm the boss. I have to assume they don't trust me until I prove myself trustworthy. And it changes the whole thinking here. Um, where in the past, where, you know, it was, look, I'm the boss. I'm, I'm writing the checks out. Let's assume that, you know, there's, there's positive intent here. We now have to change that assumption and assume people are fearful and, and probably a lot more anxious than we've ever imagined. Hey, Alex Sanfilippo here, and I want to take a quick moment to intentionally serve the world with you. Here's what I want you to do. Think of the one person you know who would most benefit from listening to this episode today. Now, I want you to send it to them, but also include an encouraging note explaining why you share this episode with them specifically. By doing this, you're helping me grow this podcast, and you're also adding value to the people you care about. With that said, thank you for your continued support. It means the world to me. And now, let's get back to today's episode. I like that you just kind of paint that whole picture that that kind of gives me a full perspective of it. Like now, now I feel like I really understand that. And it's a great segue to get into the main three points we're going to share today. And we're going to talk through three ways to create low anxiety and work culture for your team. So I want to talk through that. And the three main points we're going to cover, I'll just go over them real quick, is to help team members deal with uncertainty, help team members chart their career development, and lastly, to use gratitude to help team members build confidence. So, Adrian, I'd love to go ahead and, and jump into these points with you. The first of which, again, number one there is to help team members deal with uncertainty. And this is from your chapter that you titled, How Anxiety Fills the Gap. Oh, thanks, Alex. Yeah, And this is the first chapter for a big reason is right now people are extremely anxious about their future. And there's, there's three basic questions people are asking themselves right now that we as managers need to address. The first is, where as an organization are we heading? We, we call that future vision. And... Our people need to know that, and they need to know it more than once. We need to talk about that a lot. Now, of course, as you know, our mission uh, here at Podmatch is blah, da, da, da. And we talk about that. And you talk about it every opportunity you have, because this is where we're heading. Now, the second question I want to know as your employee is, okay, then how am I doing? And am I helping move that vision along? Um, whether I'm support or I'm, I'm bringing in money, um, help me understand how am I doing and that I'm safe here. Um, that really will bring a lot of anxiety down. 
And the last question, which will get into our second point, is do I have a future here? Are you going to invest in me? And do I feel that I can, I can really make a difference here? So to stick with this first point for a minute here, which has a lot of powerful points in it, how do you find that you can deal with the uncertainty even if you're in a startup or something that's newer? Because again, a lot of the creating a brand listeners, they're new in their business. And I'm not saying their businesses aren't going to make it, but it is more uncertain. Even if they as a leader are certain it's going to work, that's hard for someone else to jump in, especially if there's already a little bit of distrust, right? That's just what we're wired with these days. No, it's an excellent point. And, and having listened to your podcast, I know that you speak a lot to entrepreneurs and you know, and it's an excellent, you know, podcast that you're bringing to these people to help build new businesses. And Chester and I, my, my co-author and I, we're, we're small business owners too. We have, you know, I think six or seven employees in our, in our business. Uh, we've just renamed findmojo.com. And, and so understand completely the, you know, we were really, you know, when the pandemic hit, our first goal was to keep everybody employed. Um, even though we're a training company and an assessment company and, you know, the, 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 the financing for that dried up. So I understand a little bit of the, of the angst that can come from, from being a startup. Now, with that said, there are some ways to do this that are very positive. For example, you know, in a startup, we are always going to have uncertainty. That's just the nature of the beast. And, and yet we'll have leaders who tell us, well, people need to get comfortable being uncomfortable. They say, well, some people are going to do really well at that. And some people really will not. It's your job to remove as much uncertainty as you can, realizing that it'll never be perfect. But what you can do is talk about going into the dark together. So you say, look, you know, Alex, um, I don't have all the answers right now, but we're going to figure this out together. And here's the challenges we're facing right now. You know, we're an assessment company. We are, we are competing against this person, this person. And here's what's happening in the market. Let's work together to come up with solutions. And, and you get people involved in debates. You get people involved to be able to have their voice heard. Um, as we work on engagement uh, levels with organizations, sometimes an organization will hire us to come in and, and move their employee engagement scores up. And we'll say, look, the number one thing you can do is ask this question. What do you think? Uh, it's such a simple little question, right? Yeah. But then you actually address it. You actually write down what they say. You actually try to think about it. And it doesn't mean you implement every, every idea from every employee, but you get them involved in feeling like they at least are have some say in the future of the organization and especially their role in, in that, if that makes sense. Yeah, it, it does. That actually makes a lot of sense. And actually, it, it leads me to to something else along the lines of this point, you talk about the power of directness quite a bit, being direct while you're doing these things. And I think that often we want to have a barrier between us and the employee. So we don't necessarily want to ask, what do you think about everything, right? Like this specifically, don't get into the rest of this. But why is it important to be so direct when you're doing these things? Yeah, a lot of times we, you know, what we found, some of our research showed nine out of 10 managers say that they are hesitant around sharing honest feedback with their employees. And why? Well, they're going to get mad at me. They're going to get upset. So it's just not worth the effort. So nine out of 10 managers say they hold back um, giving honest feedback. And yet 67% of employees say they feel shortchanged when it comes to feedback they get from their manager. So you have this little really huge disconnect. Uh, me as an employee, I want you to give me more feedback, even though it may be a little awkward. 
Um, and you as a manager are kind of saying, I don't want to get into it. It's just too much work, um, especially for non-entrepreneurs. We're, you know, we're, we're worrying about our customers, our financing, our, our product supply, et cetera, all these things. I don't have time to worry about this. Well, what we find is this is really one of the most powerful ways to get people engaged. And so and it can just be once a, you know, it can even be once a month where you have very direct conversations. You're sitting down with each of your people and you're saying, look, I'm, I want to help you grow, but I need you to be a part of this. I, I'm going to define, re, define reality for you. So I'm going to tell you things about your performance that you may not like to hear, but I need you to accept reality and embrace feedback. That's part of our culture here is that we, we practice something we call radical candor, where we're very open and honest with each other, always with empathy and kindness. It doesn't give me permission to be a jerk. Right. But I'm going to always have your best interests at heart, but I want you to improve and grow. And so that's that idea of directness. Our people want us to be more direct than, than we are. It's such a powerful point. And I'm glad that you mentioned the statistics that actually show that that is true, because I, I think a lot of leaders, we assume people don't want to hear it. So we don't say it because we don't want to hurt people's feelings. But the truth is, if you handle it in the right way, you say it in the proper way, it's actually an ally of yours, not something that, that holds back. So I, I love this first point here. Help team members deal with uncertainty. I think we really covered that well. Jumping to the second point we're going to talk about today here is to help team members chart their career development. And this is from your chapter titled Clear Paths Forward. You know, this is such an important one. And, you know, I was working with Microsoft a couple of years ago, and I know it's a big organization, but I think it applies to entrepreneurs as well, because what they were finding is they were hiring all these young people and they would leave them after six months or a year or two. And they wanted to cut that. They, you know, they were putting a lot of investment into the new, you know, software engineers or salespeople, et cetera. So what they found was that if they would have what they call a career conversation with their people, manager to employee, just once a month, um, their idea was, look, career development is not this ladder that we used to think it was, where I move from here to here. They said, we're on a climbing wall. And, you know, if you've ever been on a climbing wall, the only thing you can't do on a climbing wall is stand there, stay there, because eventually you'll fall, right? Right. You have to move and you have to find your own way up the wall. And that was their point is that, look, we're going to keep moving. Lateral moves are not negative because sometimes they're seen that way. But the one thing we will do is have these career conversations where the manager says, look, you know, I, I want to know where you want to go in your career. You got to share your aspirations with me and we're going to work together. And now it doesn't mean you're going to be the, the CEO tomorrow, but it means that I'm going to listen to you. And it's the one meeting that's all about you. And entrepreneurs can do this with their people because, you know, they might not be able to give people huge raises or bonuses, but I can meet with you on a regular basis and say, okay, are you growing like you want to be? Uh, do you feel like you're being challenged? Is there anything that in your, in your career right now that you haven't tried that you'd like to try? And that's the cool thing about entrepreneurs is we can, we can give them new opportunities that the bigger corporations might not. You know, somebody may say, well, I, I'd love to work more with clients. Great. I'd love to, you know, I'd like, to, I'm really analytical. I'd love to do more like bookkeeping kind of stuff. Great. We can give you the things that will really motivate you that other organizations really aren't able to. And so that's the idea is, are we really listening to our employees where they want to go in their career? Um, another statistic is, uh, you know, 20, 20 year olds, 20 somethings, millennials, Gen Z, again, another statistic that 87% highly value development opportunities but only 39% say they've learned anything new in the last 30 days. And that is causing a lot of people, not only anxiety, but 
just to look for greener pastures where they can actually do that. Yeah, you know, we have, I'm technically a millennial. Uh, I break millennials into two categories. We've got dial-up and DSL millennials. So um, I'm on the dial-up side. I remember sitting at the computer and having to wait. And if my mom made a phone call, I was off. So um, I have a level of patience that maybe some of my younger millennial friends don't. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. Yeah, and, and you're exactly right. Because what we find with, you know, your generation, um, the older millennials, um, you began the job hopping process, but now the younger people, what we find is 50% of millennials say they left a job because of mental health reasons, you know, there's stress and pressure, but 75% of Gen Z, so the younger people, the early 20s coming in. So that's, that's as pretty close to unanimous as you can find, that if you are, as a manager, are not taking care of the mental health of the people coming in, you're not going to be, you know, very successful very long. Yeah, you know, this was the chapter that really I had to stop reading it multiple times because I my my mind was I was like looking at the words, but my head was somewhere else, that type of thing. Cause I was just like, how how do you overcome this? And I was thinking about the world we live in. We live in a very instant gratification world. I mean, even if people were just playing games on their phone these days, there's not ten levels anymore like the old games we used to play. Now there's a thousand levels in these games, and every ten minutes you're getting to a new level, a new rank. It's always changing. And I think that that's in many ways rewired the mind. And, and for some reason, in my head, this is where I was at when I was reading this book, and maybe I'm totally off here. Do you think there's any way to like create more steps for people to grow in the organization, right? But should it be gamified to some extent? Is that a, a good idea, bad idea? What are your no, thoughts on that? And I love that idea of absolutely gamifying it and making it because what we what we do into in the business world is just like those executives all you know a couple of years ago at the at the aerospace company that I was working with said, how do we get them to understand this is how we do business? And my pushback eventually was, how do you change to to accommodate the people coming in? Because pretty soon you're going to be alone here arguing that they need to get us. So one of the leaders that we, we profiled in the book was a guy named Mark Sandella, who's the CEO of a, uh, a job search firm. So he's got a lot of people who are all sort of working online. Most of them are in their 20s because it's a very technical, high-tech, uh, high-pressure kind of organization. And he did the same thing. He says, look, when I started uh, as a junior programmer years ago, it was two years. You had to work two years to become from a junior programmer to a programmer. And then there's another two years, you became a senior programmer. Da, da, da. And he says, that's what I told him. Look, we were put through the same thing. You know, you hear it with surgeons, right? Well, you know, there's four days, no sleep, because that's the way we were did it. It's like, that's stupid. You know, you're never going to have to go through that as a surgeon later in your career. So he realized, okay, instead of, you know, forcing them to fit, he says, instead of that two years to get the first promotion, he says, I split it into six promotions over two years. And he says, but there were, there were performance levels they had to, to reach, just like you were mentioning about the gamification. He says they had to learn new, new techniques, new languages, new, new things that would get them in those first three or four months to the first level and then to the next level. And he says there were little increases. There were title increases and pay bumps at every step. And he says, and, the, and these young people really took it quite seriously. You know, they take pictures and send them to mom and dad and high fives around the office. And he says, I realized I was trying to force them to do it the way I wanted instead of really listening and changing the way. And he says, so by the end of two years, they were still making the same money they would have after the two years. But he says, I, I got them to, to learn more, to do more, and to really be excited about the work they were doing. So 
again, small business owner, he found ways to, to put incremental gamification sort of ways to, to really build people's careers. I, I really, I like this point a lot. I think it's, it's really interesting to me to, to have like more room for growth. And it all kind of stems from the leader sitting with that employee and figuring out, hey, what's that clear path look like for you as an individual? Because not one size doesn't fit all anymore. You might have some that say, I'm definitely not interested in this. And that's when you can kind of make a shift. You can find other ways to, to do that, offering small promotions along the way or small increases in title, whatever it might be, something that makes them feel like, hey, I'm making progress here. But it all kind of stems from that leader really being able to sit with that person and coaching them and listening to what they're looking for. This point is phenomenal. I really like this. Oh, that's such a that's such a great point you're making, Alex, because you're you're exactly right. We used to think, you know, culture is about big macro ideas. I sit as a leader and I talk about my vision and, and how we need to all rally around it. And that's part of, of building culture. But really, how you really build culture is you get to know each person in your care. Because some of them, you're right, will want to become the CEO one day themselves. They'll, they just want to you know, grow and develop. And other people, I want to go home at five and not even think about you people till tomorrow. Right. And that's okay. There's yeah. absolutely nothing wrong with that because both of those people can do great things for your organization. But you don't know it if you don't get to know your people and not only what their strengths are, there's a lot of you know, thought around their strengths, but really what they're motivated by. And if it is going home at five and being with their family, and you can get 100% out of them while they're with you, then more power to you as a leader, because that's an important part of the audience as well that you're, you're working with, an important part of your stakeholders. Yeah, these two first two points we covered to help team members deal with uncertainty, help team members chart their career development are so important. As a matter of fact, after reading this, I realized it was something that I had been trying to pinpoint for, for years. I've watched friends start companies and they all hit this point. Not all of them, I shouldn't say. A lot of them hit this point where they start struggling. They kind of cap their growth, at least for a little while. And it's always around the fact they can't keep talent. And I know that they're great people often, but it seems like there's always people moving in and out. They're always having to retrain uh, or, or reorg the, the organization, trying to get it working the right way. And I've come to the conclusion it's between these two things. This is really what it comes down to. It's people are leaving because they don't see that they're going to grow with it, or they just feel like I'm struggling with anxiety from this job. It's more of a startup feeling. I'm nervous. I'm scared all the time, whatever it might be. Really two very important points that have taught me a lot. So I'm really glad we got to cover those before we move into the last one here. No, thanks, Alex. These really, you're right. I mean, if they're simple, what we call them low-hanging fruit that, a, that an entrepreneur can do, the first is, you know, help people understand where are we going as an organization and how I fit in. The second is help them understand how they fit, what their future is, and how what you can do to help them grow and develop. And yeah, you're going to lose people. I mean, it's just inevitable. Uh, but in case, if, if you create a great culture, in many cases, we're finding people are actually coming back because they're going realizing the grass isn't greener over there. Yeah. So you create a way, you don't make people, you you create a way where people can leave feeling like champs. And in many cases, they're going to come back to you. That's great. Thanks for that little recap on those two points. Moving into the third and final thing we're going to chat about here is to use gratitude to help team members build confidence. And this is from your chapter titled, Turn Doubts into Assurance. Now, this is really, again, we talk about low-hanging fruit. This is an easy one that entrepreneurs can do, but they so often, we so often, we just get so busy that we forget to help people feel valued through gratitude. And, and one of the things we found in our research as we were writing Anxiety at Work was 
you know, something we call the imposter syndrome. Um, even very talented people can feel like imposters, that they feel like, yeah, you know, um, my external validation, even though as managers, we're telling them, oh, you do such great work. We love having you here. They feel like frauds inside. Um, you know, I, over the last couple of years, I've, I've read a few biographies, uh, um, Bruce Springsteen's Born to Run, where he talks about very openly about his anxiety, his panic attacks. Uh, Steve Martin, too, for, for uh, decades, went through very paralyzing anxiety attacks. Even Lady Gaga, you know, you think of the most outlandish, you know, confident person in the world, right. says that I feel like a fraud every day when I wake up and I have to just tell myself my people are, my fans are counting on me. I've got to slap on the smile. And so sometimes we feel like, oh, you know, Alex, oh my gosh, he's so confident. He's, a, and as coming back to what we discussed earlier, in many cases, our people are covering that up because they want to appear confident. They want to. And so even extremely competent, talented people need to know how much they are valued. And this is where gratitude comes in. And the problem with gratitude is that, you know, we do a lot of executive coaching, Chester and I, and this is typically where managers fall short. And it's not that they're jerks or they think they're doing it all. It's just they're, they're suffering from information deficit. They just aren't seeing. They don't have their eyes open to see the value that is being created around them. And that's really where gratitude begins. It's not just saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. That's, that's, that's pretty hollow. Um, but if I see, you know, you know, if I see, you know, Susan, my gosh, thank you so much for staying late last night and getting those invoices out. You know, we're a small team. Ownership is one of our core values. Um, you probably missed something with your family, and I apologize for that. Hopefully we don't ask you to do that too much. But I want to thank you so much for taking that ownership and, and seeing that issue through. That's going to mean a lot because I, as a manager, am seeing, and then I'm adding that specific gratitude following it. That's a lot more meaningful than just, hey, everybody, just great job. Everybody's great job. Yeah, you know, great job, great job. That's just meaningless. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know, a lot of this actually reminds me of another book that you wrote, uh, Leading with Gratitude, which was a another phenomenal read. I'll link that in the show notes if anyone's interested in that, because that, that was another really great one there. But I think a lot of us, we get this wrong for that last point you just made, which is where we we just say, good job, team. Great job, everybody. Instead of getting into the specifics of why we're telling somebody great job, now, at the same time, if, if I take that advice, I'm just like, oh, I'm just going to tell every one of my team members individually, great job. That doesn't really work either. There's got to be something specific. You call it being close to the action, close to the results, right? Can you talk about that for a moment? Yeah, and, and it's such a good point because, you know, somebody's hearing this. They go, okay, I need to be better at this. Yeah, it's a good point. Okay, Alex, come on in here. You did a good job. Okay, now send in <laughs> Susan, will you? Uh, right. just, again, you know, if you, what we say is if you can say it to a dog, it's not gratitude, okay? Okay. Um, so gratitude is very specific to the action that is that has happened. It's frequent. So that way, you know, because sometimes managers will say, well, I'm worried about jealousy. If I, if I recognize Jennifer, then, you know, Paul and the other guys on her team, they're just going to get, no, because you're frequent. And, and secondly, you are specific. You are recognizing somebody for living the core values of your organization, your team. And, and you are sincere because you are recognizing the things that matter most to you. Um, you know, one of the uh, very simple ideas here we say is you praise effort, but you reward results. So if you think about it, you know, praise is, yeah, we didn't quite hit the goal we were looking for, or, or it's just expected behavior. Thanks everybody for doing that. That's praise. But when somebody goes above and beyond and hears nothing from their leader, 
anxiety is exacerbated. In many cases, especially younger people we interviewed, and we interviewed dozens and dozens for anxiety at work, many cases they told us, uh, if my manager doesn't tell me that I'm doing a good job, I will keep trying it a different way until he or she finally tells me I'm doing a good job. How incredibly unproductive to have your younger employees just saying that if you don't give me some gratitude and I'm just going to keep trying things a different way until you finally give me approbation. And what they're saying is, look, I'm, I don't want a participation trophy. Gratitude helps me understand that I'm moving in the right direction and I'm doing the things that you value. It's a very simple thing. They have grown up with more of this than we did in our generation. And it tells them I'm being coached and I'm understanding that, you know, whether good or bad, you're going to give me more feedback, probably more feedback than you're comfortable with. Uh, you know, something I really like about this point is it requires the leader to be involved in what's happening. There's no sitting back at the 10,000 foot level and not having any clue, right? Because then you can't really praise the effort or reward the results because you're not really sure like, okay, what was the measurable here? It forces you to really stay involved in what's happening, which I think really goes back to the first two things. You can be more straightforward with people. You can actually have an idea of really what's happening, where the organization is going. A lot of people like to kind of have that distance between them and the staff. And maybe at some point you hit levels where there's management tiers and it makes a little bit more sense. But initially, it's great for you to be not hands-on so you can micromanage, but hands-on so that you can say, hey, I saw you do this and I wanted to say thank you. And, and actually talk to those points. So I, I really like that because, again, it has a little bit of built-in accountability for the leader as well, I believe. Yeah, and somebody's listening to this kind of going, oh, this sounds like a lot of work, Alex. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's like, thanks for bringing this guy on because, you know, you've just made my job as a leader harder, and I've already got 100 things I'm trying to do. And, it, you know, honestly, I won't try to sugarcoat it. It is harder. Uh, but what you're going to find is you're going to be losing less people, a lot less people. Uh, you're going to get more out of those people that you have. Um, so, yes, it does take a little bit more time and effort to get, uh, just as what you said, you get to know the people in your, in your care, what motivates them and working on this. But the good news is once this gets rolling, the, the best managers we saw at this, they only take about you know two hours a, a month. Uh, sorry, yeah, uh, two hours a week, sorry, on this idea of gratitude and, and helping people feel valued because they've really honed it down. So in a typical 50-hour entrepreneur week, uh, two hours is 1%. That's a, you know, it's not a huge amount of, of time that they're having to, to go through. Yeah, and if that moves the needle, it is more than worth it. Adrian, this has been a great conversation. Do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share with us today? You know, one of the things that's the nice things that we hear with with our books, like Anxiety at Work, where we're starting to have some some first readers like yourself kind of start reading it. What is fun is that it not only, you know, we hear people say, hey, this has helped my business, um, but it also can help your, your life too. Uh, one of the things is, you know, we're all trying to deal right now with, balancing work and home, many of us working remotely more. There's a lot of stress and pressures. So the nice thing is, you know, we can bring this back to our homes. Um, one of the, the great stories that, you know, we include is is from uh, from a, a leader in New York, Dave Kirpin, who, who said, uh, you know, this kind of this idea of, of how you, you use your gratitude to bring down anxiety levels. And he says, I you know, every night at dinner, we would have the same conversation. You know, how was your day to the kids? Fine. 
you know, what you do? Nothing. <laughs> you know, did you go to school? Yeah. Did you learn anything? No. So he said the same conversation. So he says, we decided to bring, um, hopefully a little more gratitude, a little bit anxiety levels down. He says, we'd asked three questions. What was the best moment of your day? Secondly, uh, what did you do? Who are you thankful for? Who's not at the table? Third, who are you thankful for? Who's at the table? Who hasn't been thanked yet? Three really simple questions. He says, at first, my kids crazy hated it. He says, but within a couple of weeks, they were, I heard them sort of brainstorm. Okay, what are you going to say? What are you going to say? And it's become a very part of our, of our day. And we're able to share and talk about the good things. And he says, I noticed that the anxiety levels have just come down as we start talking about, A, what are we grateful for? What was the best part of our day? Two, who are we grateful for who's not at the table? Who are we grateful for who's at the table? Who hasn't been thanked yet? And he says, we just have a happier, more calm environment. So bring these ideas home as well. Man, I love that. I think that's such a great way to end this episode. This is a practice you're going to have in your own life. It'll help you with anxiety yourself, but also just living a life of gratitude and doing this every day is just fantastic for your mental health in general. Adrian, I so appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for the impact you've had on my life personally and also on creating a brand now as well. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you, Alex, and I appreciate you having me on. Adrian's research on mental health and specifically anxiety in the workplace is a topic that cannot be ignored if we plan on growing a team in a business. Even if you're a solo entrepreneur right now, begin implementing what Adrian shared to create a low anxiety foundation for your business. The future you and the future staff that you will have will thank you for this down the road. Adrian, thank you again for being a guest and helping us all to create lower anxiety work cultures for ourselves and our teams. To pick up a copy of Adrian Gostick's book, Anxiety at Work, please visit creatingabrand.com slash 095. Thank you as always for listening. I'm looking forward to bringing you another Masterclass episode next week.